Welcome to He Said, She Said Razor Branding Podcast with Michael Russo and Jackie Russo. To learn more about how to improve your brand, visit brandrusso.com. Hi, welcome to He Said, She Said Razor Branding Podcast. Michael and I have a great one for you today. Lindsay Pinchuk is an award-winning entrepreneur, consultant, community builder, connector, storyteller, expert marketer, social media maven, spokesperson, on-air expert, small business champion, and I'm thinking most importantly, mom. Listen, her story, the answers to the questions, the fact that Michael actually participates in this podcast, you're going to love everything about it. With about $500 in her pocket and a baby in her belly, and I identify with that, let me tell you, she left a high-powered job at a magazine publishing executive and founded her first company, Baby Bump Club and Beyond. And wait until you hear how she built this business, built community, and then sold out for the big bucks. Uh, and you say the word sold out. It sounds like she sold out. Like she no. like she sold her company. Like she didn't sell sold. out. No, sold. There was awe in my voice when she said it. And that's it. Her. That's when I just did. I did that whole Lindsay Pinchuk award-winning entrepreneur, consultant, community builder person. All and right. then at the top of the actual interview, remember I said, welcome, Lindsay. Welcome, Lindsay. I already said it. And now welcome to the show, Lindsay Pinchuk. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Uh, So, you know, it's interesting. When I get to talk to other entrepreneurs, uh, women, moms, I think there's so many different ways we can go. Um, And I'm going to try not to just tell my own story the whole time because no one wants to listen to that again. But I do just want to touch base on how old are your kids right now? Just give me a point of reference so I know where we're coming from. They're 8 and 11. Okay. All right. So you're hitting that sweet spot of they're starting to have some independence and they think they know more than you. Thousand percent. Um, my oldest just started middle school. So, but I'm also hitting the sweet spot of like my kids are getting up in the morning and getting ready on their own. That's a milestone. And it's only the third morning of the school year, but this morning I woke up and I was like, they were dressed, both of them. I was like, oh my God. So yes, I uh, it goes both ways. <laughs> well, look, just to preface it, we're dealing with uh, a different end of the spectrum. We just dropped our fourth child off at college this past weekend. Oh. So uh, this past Monday. So we are like dealing with a lot of drama and uh, we have four in college now. So we remember all those little moments and like even you talking about it, it's getting a little emotional. It's like, oh, <laughs> we're at that next level of it. So and are you so sad right now? Because uh, I, I have a few friends who have dropped kids off at college this week, and I can feel their sadness through social media. Yeah, they're all they were all sad. This one's a little bit hard because it's the baby, you know, yeah. and um, she's at Tulane. We're very proud of her and all of them. But um, like I said, it's uh, coming home to an empty house, realizing we're in a new phase of our lives. And so dealing with all that, which is nothing to do with what we're talking about today, but uh, it is going on. So, yeah. To be life. clear, he's cried three times. I wouldn't say cry. I've I've been emotional, but yes, I don't know if I've cried. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I was pregnant with kid number two, who's now in her fourth year as a chemical engineer major at the University of Louisiana, go Cajuns, and um, started the business just a mere 21 years ago. And I think our stories kind of align there. So tell me, what was your lightning bolt moment when you thought, yeah, I'm pregnant out to here, but I'm going to go waddle out into the world and start a company. 
So it really wasn't my intention to be very honest with you, you know, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs can understand and, and sympathize with that. I was about um, to say, is I, it ever, is it ever your intention right. to, I mean, to I risk all that? Have a grand plan. I actually loved my job. I worked at the Hearst Corporation. I worked for Good Housekeeping. I sold integrated marketing programs to Fortune 100 brands. I had incredible clients. I had a huge expense account. I had a great gig. But when I got pregnant, I realized that I needed support. I realized I needed community. And we, my husband and I are both transplants here in Chicago. We were living downtown at the time. And there was really no way to like meet pregnant people. You know, like you can meet parents, right? But like you couldn't meet pregnant people. And so um, I was the only one that was pregnant at the time. Meanwhile, all of my friends, we all have sixth graders. I was just first. So mine is the oldest. And I started hosting events more for myself, like just to socialize, find community, find support. And with every event that I held, it was like, what's next? What's next? And people who know me know that like I go big or go home. I'm not one to like, you know, do something half-ass. And so I started hosting these events and we were getting like 50, 100, 150 people attending dinners with like speakers on breastfeeding and sleep. And I was still working at my corporate job at the time. And also I want to put a point of reference here. This was 2010. There was no business Facebook pages. I mean, there was Facebook, but and LinkedIn and Twitter, but like no Instagram, no Snapchat, no business, anything, no TikTok, none of that. So, you know, a lot of it was really word of mouth. And when I had my daughter, I took my maternity leave and then I, and I really started working on the business. I had my first was, I always joke, You'll appreciate this. I always joke that if I would have started this when my second was born, there would have been no business. Because, <laughs> because at the end of the day, I, I mean, we like she doesn't sleep. My first one slept and was amazing. And so I was able to start a business and I was able to work on the business while I was home with her on my maternity leave. And when I went back to work, I had a boss who was not so supportive of the fact that I had a side hustle. And even though it did not impact anything that I did in her space, at the end of the day, it wasn't going to be a fit. And so I left and I really like took a leap when I left. So to your point, like, was it a planned thing or what was the moment? The moment was kind of like, I know that this woman's going to make my life hell. So what's the worst that happens? I try it out. And if it doesn't work, we go back. I mean, and I go back and get a job. And so that was really the moment that that I quit and decided to pursue this. When did the transition come from I'm building a community for myself? Oh, everybody else needs this community. Oh, I now am unemployed and doing this as a job to this is how I'm gonna monetize it. That's a big switch. What where was the catalyst for that and how did you monetize? Yes, and there was a very big like moment in that. There was a defined moment. So of course, I wanted to make money. I wasn't losing money. Um, you know, our events were paid. People were paying. It was a very much a model, um, like a media model, like our circulation were the event tickets. And then eventually we got sponsors. And I had sponsors for the events before I ended up going on maternity leave. So that was something that I was starting to build. Right after maternity leave, when I went back and then I started doing this on my own, I had some. I had a girl reach out to me. She had just graduated grad school. And she said to me, I got your number from a friend. I have never had a job in my life because I've gone to summer camp every single summer and I need some work experience. I'll do anything for you. 
And so I started paying her hourly because at the time, like setting up events, as you know, is just very labor intensive. And I had a baby at home and I had a part-time nanny. And so it wasn't like, I, I really needed to maximize my time with the nanny and setting up events wasn't worth my time to do. So it was worth, it was worth it for me to pay someone to do that. So I started paying her and I really liked her a lot. And she really liked me. We got along really well. And at one point she said to me, I know I I have to find a a job and I'm looking for like a full-time job, but I really want to work for you. And I was very busy trying to get sponsors and I had a bunch of proposals out and I worked my ass off to close a really big deal with, it was either Enfamil or Similac. I can't remember which one that deal paid for her salary. And so I was able to bring her on. She became my first full-time employee. She was kind of like the admin operations person. She executed everything. Well, I grew the brand and I was able to bring in sponsors and I was able to grow our programming to be sponsored. So that was really that moment. How did you get from a very local Chicago community that met in person to growing to 3 million plus members of the community and expanding that footprint. So I want to be very clear that this didn't happen overnight. And, you know, a lot of what I do now is building community. And I always tell my clients like, this isn't going to happen overnight. And like, it takes time. You have to nurture the community. You have to really serve the community. And over time, it will grow. So Back to kind of what I was saying before is that there was really no social media when I first started. But within the first year or so, business pages became a thing on Facebook. And so I was able to kind of put things up on social media and we were getting more traction. Word of mouth about this was insane. Um, I mean, I would get emails all the time from people. And I got an email from someone in Minneapolis who had said to me, I really want to bring Bump Club to Minneapolis. A lot of my friends in Chicago are coming. They love it. Can I come down to Chicago and meet with you? And Katie Blosis, that's who it was, became you know one of the first people to expand Bump Club to another market for me. And we had someone in Chicago who moved to Austin. She took Bump Club with her. Then I had someone call me in LA and San Francisco, and they were people I knew. And so we kind and we kind of it wasn't a, it wasn't a franchise. It was, um, but it was a scalable solution. So we basically took what we were doing in Chicago, we replicated it and I let someone else kind of run with it. And they, you know, we had a revenue share model. Um, it wasn't like I paid them hourly, like they were really paid on what they were bringing in. And, and we got a cut of that. Um, we handled all the marketing similar to kind of how a franchise would be. Um, But it was also on a much lower scale. I mean, this was also a way for moms to have ownership in something and to be a part of something and to work when they wanted to work. And so that was kind of like the first level of us growing. The second level was we ended up being approached by both Target and Nordstrom um, for partnerships. So which was a really big, both of them were very, very big deals, obviously. Um, We were working with many, many, many brands in the baby space. And so a lot of brands were talking about us on their social media or, you know, in meetings with retailers. Um, I can't remember who came first. I think that it was Target. So Target heard about us because of Katie and Minneapolis having events. And So we had someone reach out to us from Target and they wanted us to help build community surrounding their registry experience at Target. And we created a program for them. It was a test program. 
that grew and grew and grew. And eventually, after I sold my company to a large, a large agency holding company, um, Target ended up being like a seven figure deal with the new company. Um, it was about, it was over six figures when we were, when it was just me and it was eventually seven figures. And then Nordstrom ended up, they, that was, this was different. They started carrying baby gear in their stores. And a lot of the brands were brands that were working with us on this big signature road show that we used to have. It was a big live event that we would go to like 12 cities a year and put on this big event with like really high-end baby gear. And Nordstrom wanted us to host it in their store. And I actually said no at first. So I said, this doesn't really fit our model. This isn't how we um, we run this event. We use this event to help local retailers in the baby space to survive. And you're not going to allow me to ask people to pay 50 to to $100 to come into your store. So why don't we come up with a custom solution? So we ended up creating a roadshow with them that we did over the course of about 22 months. We did 24 events in 24 cities. And so both of those like programs plus our signature roadshow really helped us to expand and to grow our footprint nationally. And from there, it just kind of continued to, to, to grow. And how did, That's um, awesome. it is awesome and impressive story. Like, but my, I'm curious, like, how did you take that into what you're doing now, which is helping other businesses grow? Like you just had a formula and you thought, you know what, I'll, I need to share this with the world. Were you bored? Did you yeah. just need more stuff going on in your life? Like how, how did that transition into what, what that led to? Yeah. So I sold Bump Club in 2019 to a company called Advantage Marketing Solutions. They bought me largely for my target partnership. Um, one of their agencies, the one that acquired us, worked with Target and Beauty, wanted to get into baby. They couldn't because we were kind of monopolizing that space. Also different than beauty with baby. Like you can't just kind of like show up and expect that people will come. Like you have to be a trusted authority. And, you know, I showed up from day one, sharing myself, sharing my story, sharing what it was like to be a mom, the good, the bad, the ugly. And built this very big community that trusted me. And I was like the face of it. And so Advantage really wanted that relationship with Target and they couldn't get it on their own. And so that was why they bought us. So I ended up going and I worked at Advantage for Bump Club for two and a half years. And at the end of that time, about two years in, um, I had a lot of clients that were approaching me and they were saying like, we'd really like your help with social media, with content, building our own community. And they were offering to pay me a lot more than I was getting paid. And I, you know, kind of had that epiphany, like, why am I doing this for someone else just because it's my quote baby, right? Like I I knew I didn't want to do it forever. And it was really just time for me to, to cut the cord and to move on. And so I decided that when I left Bump Club, I wanted to very much continue to help and serve people, but not parents. And I really wanted to help and serve female founders. A lot of female founders, I think, just feel very alone. I did, at least in the beginning, and often don't know where to turn and what the resources should be. And, you know, I think a lot of founders also are very good at running their business, but like in their in their area of expertise, but not very good at marketing their business or forming a community or understanding why that's important. And I did have a formula and I do have a formula that works very well. And that is now why people hire me. 
Nice. I love the idea of a community. So we we talk a lot about that, about, you know, uh, building your tribe and finding people that want to own th- that community. And but I love the word community in general. I think it just it aspires to finding people that believe in your mission and your brand promise and all those things, all those keywords that go in there. Yeah, I mean, yes. And like really and truly when it so. The way that I define community and there are described community is your community is your greatest asset and your content is your greatest marketing tool. And all of those things that you just described are part of your content, right? Like mm-hmm. your mission, your story, all of these things. All of that content needs to be threaded through every single thing that you put out. A lot of people think that content is simply social media and it's not. I mean, your content is showing up at a live event. This is content. You know, this is a piece of content that you're going to give me, you know, the record, you're going to put it up on, on podcasts and I'm going to make a million assets using this, you know, this recording because this is content. This is great content. Um, your content is your email. Your content is your website. You know, all of these things are your content and your mission, your story, your values are woven throughout all of that. And that's what builds your community. And it's funny because a lot of people ask me like, when I started Bump Club, like, you know, how did I start it and whatnot? I, like I said, I didn't have like a plan and I didn't really know that what I was doing until like in hindsight, right? Like looking back five years in, I was like, okay, I showed up as myself each and every day, sharing my story, sharing my values, never compromising my values, which that was a big thing too, because, you know, people throw money at you and they want you to post shit and like, you don't want to compromise yourself or your integrity for something short term. So like all of those things added up really drove my business and helped me build a community. So it all, it all really works hand in hand. And how does your, um, we, we talk a lot about audiences and really understanding your audience. And obviously with the, with the baby side, you had moms and women and things like that. Um, when you're going into a new business, how much weight do you put on, on that early on getting to know who your audience is, or where does that fall into your process? So the the first thing for me with Bump Club, and I'll, I'll kind of give you both examples. Like with Bump Club, like I was my audience. And I actually very much try to refrain from using the word audience. And I talk about this a lot. Like audience is someone who listens and who kind of consumes what you're saying. But a community is someone who interacts and engages. And um, and I really try to push my audience to be a, a part of our community. That's really what I focus on. Um, but when I was starting Bump Club, it was for me, you know, so it was very much like I knew what I wanted and I knew what was important to me. And I, I very much also asked the people who went to my events from day one, I sent out a survey, every single event, there was a survey and there were things that people pointed out to me that led me to change the way I did things, what I served how I check people in. I mean, all of it, you have to listen to your community. Right. So that was kind of like, it was kind of easy the first time because I was creating a product for myself. And then the second time, you know, a little bit different, I was creating a product. I am creating a product for myself 10 years ago. And so I'm like thinking about what those things are that were so important to me when I was just getting started. And that's really what I'm focused on putting out there. But I really listen. Like, I mean, I do polls all the time on social media. You as a business owner, anyone as a business owner, sometimes, you know, we often think like we know best what, what the product is or what we should put out or what we should be doing. 
And then if, when it falls flat, you're like, oh shit, like, you know, but if you just listen, like really listen, open two ears and listen to the people who are consuming your show, your social media, engaging with you and utilize them, ask them questions, you'll avoid those situations a lot more. That's kind of how I, how I look at things. I, I appreciate all of that. And I, I, I love hearing people's stories and how they got there. I need to circle back to one thing that you touched on that Michael doesn't want to talk about, which is the actual sale. So we've had people approaching us for a couple of years now. It's kind of starting to ramp up as we get bigger. And he's going to just die at his desk. I think that's his plan. I'm not sure if that's a really good plan, but I think that's his plan. How hard was it for you literally emotionally? Or were there just enough zeros in the check that you were like, fuck yeah, it's yours. So no, it was not that. And I want to be very clear that like, it wasn't all roses and unicorns and it was really hard. And, and, um, and I also have to be very on his side, Lindsay, don't be on his side. I thought we were friends. We had a vibe, but wait, but I'm going to share this with you because I I think it's, I, I actually, I, someone else had me on their podcast history and we talked all about this. I also want to say there, there are some things that I probably can't share here, like on the podcast, but I can share with you offline because I am tied to some agreements so we can absolutely talk more about it. But you know, and and I want to also be very clear. A lot of people think that when you sell your business, you're like rolling in the dough, right? And like, yes, I got a check for my business, but it wasn't life changing. And there were faults to it too. And, and there were things that weren't the way that I wanted it to be. And I will tell you that the more I talk to founders, the more I hear that things don't always work the way you want or think that they'll work. On the converse, people ask me all the time, do you regret selling your business? I do not. I wanted to exit my business. I wanted to either sell it or have investors by the time I turned 40. I bootstrapped the entire business. I was tired of working the way that I was working. I was paying myself, but like, I just didn't want to be reliable for other people's livelihood anymore. And I was, I was really tired. And I also knew that as my kids got older, they were going to need me in bigger and different ways. And when I sold the business, I made the choice to sell the business versus get investors because I did know, I did know that I eventually wanted to exit the business. And, um, you know, when I, when I sold it, there was kind of this like six month, like honeymoon period. Right. And you're like so excited and whatnot, but there is a period of time where you realize it's not yours anymore. And that was when I started thinking about how I wanted to exit and it, and it takes a while to get there. Like you really have to get there. But by the time that I was there, I was like, I'm done. Like I am done. And I realized that I could be making more money currently doing something on my own again. And it wasn't just the money. It was also the sanity. I was working really, really hard for this company. And for me, it wasn't worth it. Like I sold it. So I didn't have to do that. And that was kind of the eye opener that, you know, it it, it was unexpected, I guess. So does that answer your question? I I mean, I I could talk about this a lot, um, but I do not regret it. COVID would have put my company out of business. I would have gotten nothing for it. All of my competitors went out of business. 
I would have gotten zero. And so I got something. I ended up having, you know, a nice job with a nice paycheck for two and a half years. And I was able to take a minute to figure out like what it was that I, that I wanted to do next. And actually Bump Club became my first client. So I consulted out with them. Very That's nice. awesome. Yeah. And they, um, and what I'm about to say is not um, me talking down to Jackie because she's the CEO of our company and the brains behind everything. I'm the creative director here. But Jackie, there's a little button right there. It's called mute. Whenever you pour water into your cup and try to be really sneaky about it, we hear it. So just anyway, a little tip. All right. Anyway, back, 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 back to the podcast. So much fun. <laughs> I'm going to have the uh, the producer edit that part out, just so you know. Yeah, I, I am the editor. <laughs> oh, right. Screwed again. <laughs> when, um, I, I, like I said, I, lo- I love the story that you have there. And we talk about stories. And that's kind of one of the things that, that is really a buzzword right now. There's story this, a story that, and tell your story. And everybody, it's the new, you know brand word that everybody wants to use. And and I've always believed in that. We love doing that. I love, we're big on messaging here at our agency and um, which is how we, we, how we phrase that. But I think for a lot of people, they look at it and it's really hard. It's like, okay, well, what is my story? And what, what do I, is it manufactured? Is it artificial? Do, do we take our community into consideration when we, when we talk about those things? Cause you know, branding is, is about truth, right? I mean, you can't control the brand people control the brand. They're going to decide what you are at the end of the day. You can tell them all you want, but if it's not genuine, authentic, and truthful, they're going to figure it out, right? Yep. So what, how do you deal with that with your clients and trying to get that out of them? Yeah. So this is a big part of what I do with my clients. Like One of the very first exercises I do with both coaching and consulting clients is the storytelling piece. And there are oftentimes I take on clients that they have a story already, already but we refresh it. You know. Um, My whole notion is that the more you tell your story, the more people will tell your story for you. And, you know, like you can never tell your story too much. And so one of the things that I do with all of my clients is I have like a a checklist of questions, asking them their why, asking them about their background and their history. And I have them pull together three different stories a one-liner elevator pitch that says, you know, what it is that they do and why a medium version of a bio that, you know, a bio story that like you can use on something like this, or maybe on a website. Also though, it's so imperative that your why is in your story. And then a longer version, because even if you don't use it anywhere online, like cohesively, Oftentimes my clients will pull bits and pieces for social media and will use it in their content or their email. I mean, and then you have it written, right? Like, so I have, you have these three stories that are written and they're not just, you know, for shits and giggles. I mean, I, it's, you repurpose it over and over and over again. And I always tell my clients that that story needs to show up all throughout their content everywhere. And, and the content again, goes back to everything you put out in the world, social media, live events, email, you know, everything, publicity, all of that. And like I said, when you tell your story over and over and over, people then share it for you and they, they start to tell it. And so I, like my story is I'm the girl who built a community and sold it, you know, and, and, and that's really what people say when they talk about me, like, and that's what I want people to say when they talk about me. So I think that a lot of brands oftentimes 
neglect the importance of their story, um, especially if the brand is not like a personal brand or like a service, right? But at the end of the day, products have stories too. And it's really important that you as the founder share your story about your company, no matter what it is, because people buy from people. They don't buy from like a product. They, you know what I mean? They want to buy from a person. And it is so important for people to understand the story behind your brand, whatever it might be. Well, and also, you know, um, repeating it. I I think a lot of times, even here at at our group, I have a writer come to me and like, they'll rewrite something. I'm like, stop it. Like we have to stick with our story. <laughs> like it yeah. is, that is who we are. And 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 just because it feels repetitive to you, it's not repetitive to the world. We need to hit it over and over and over again because that is our foundation, right? I just had this um, conversation with a client this morning, and I was saying to them, you know, every piece of content you put out needs to be stretched to the maximum, and that includes your story, because there's no reason to be reinventing the wheel, creating content over and over and over again, when your audience, your community, whoever is consuming what you're putting out there in the world, they're not seeing everything that you put out. You know, if I'm scrolling on Instagram, like just because I see something you guys put out on a Monday at 8 a.m., someone might not see that the next month on a Thursday at 10 p.m. And the likelihood of that is pretty slim. And so in order to read, like, to get people to tell your story to your point, you need to just share it. And it's not redundant. And I do think that creative directors and social media managers, they're often like, but I just shared this. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like you have to share it over and over again. You just do. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, because of the world we live in, um, especially in the past, really the past 10 years, but really this past year, even there's so much content and you're constantly having to regenerate that it, it gets to be like, okay, what am I putting up now? And, and okay, well, it went, it used to be, you know, you do an ad campaign and you'd have a series of, you know, three to five ads and you're in those for six months. Well, those three to five ads is a week now. And and now, so the next week I got to do three or five more. And, 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 and it starts to build and build and build. And that anxiety of, I have to fill my, my space with new things all the time. And I don't think people think of it the way you just said it, which is sometimes they're only getting small bites and small pieces. And you have to be consistent with that. If you're changing it every five minutes, you can't keep up. You can't manage it. No. And the other thing that I tell my clients too, and the second exercise we often work through together is a creation of content buckets. And whether that term is overused or not, I, I don't really care. I mean, it's really and truly <laughs> how it should be. You know, I mean, to your point, you have to be consistent with your branding and your story. So I make my clients pick four to six things that they're going to talk about. And when I say things, I'm not saying like, like I argue with my clients all the time. Like I'll have a client be like, well, I have my buckets motivation. No, it's not. That's what you're (laughs) doing. But so, you know, I make sure that they talk about the same six things over and over, but they can switch up how they do it. And that's okay. But people want to know if they're following you or if they're consuming your newsletter, they want to know why they're they want they are there for a reason and it's important that they expect certain things from you so you don't want to all of a sudden be like talking about something and then you're like talking about cats you know what i mean or like you're talking Mm -hmm. about your pets like i mean it just like throws people for a loop like they're there for a reason so you need to be consistent in what it is that you're sharing with them absolutely and i I didn't write this but we use it all the time it's um the phrase what mental what mental real estate can you own which i think is is exactly like what is yours piece of the island that you can put your flag on and that's where you live all the time 
Mm-hmm. That's very good advice. Very good mm-hmm. advice. I mean, I, and, and, you know, that's why I talk about building a community like all the time. That's what I talk about. And yes, there are like other topics that kind of fall underneath that. But at the end of the day, like I want people to come to me because I build communities and that's, you know, and I actually, it took me a little bit to get to that point. It's only been a year since I left bump club, not even I'm approaching a year. And when I first left, I kind of just put myself out there as like a marketing consultant, but it was too much, you know? I mean, it was like, yes, there are a million things I can do because I did found and grow and scale and sell a business. But at the end of the day, it's what do I love doing? And what am I best at doing? And that is building community. And you do that through social content, email, and all of those other things. But you don't want to pitch yourself as a marketing consultant because that, what does that even mean? Like then, then there's like no reason to really come to me. You know, people are like, Oh, okay. You're one in a million. Yeah. And I've, I mean, I don't know how many companies we've, we've shown up on the, on the scene at, and they just got done with another marketing consultant, their fifth one in, in, in two years. And they gave them a lot of stuff that was never implemented. They didn't know how to do it. They didn't know how to execute. They didn't know how to take that and put it into reality. And which kind of leads to my next question. Like we, we, you know, our, our niche, I guess what we've been doing a lot of work for the past few years is B2B. And um, which is sometimes thought of as not very sexy or, or cool, but but we found a, a great place to live there. And um, and it's trying to convince people that just because you're a, a B2B client and you're not B2C, you're not you know, really consumer forward facing that you like you like you said, you still have a story to tell. You still have all the same elements that you would in a traditional marketing or advertising campaign, you know, or your storytelling process. And I think everybody neglects that. And um you know, can you talk a little bit more about that, about, you know, when you deal with those type of clients where they just don't, they don't understand it? Yeah. You know, I think that when a client doesn't understand why it's important, you have to show them why it's important. And like, you know, and I'm not just saying like through case studies or whatnot, but through actually doing it. And like, you know, when I, when I have a client who's like adverse or who like, doesn't want to like show their face on social media or who doesn't want to do the things that I'm telling them to do to get the results that they want to do. I basically tell them that like you hired me for a reason, let's give it a try. And nine times out of 10, maybe even more than that, they're like, okay, you're right. You know, I mean, I think when someone hires you to do something, they're hiring you because you're the expert at it. And, and it's important, especially even with B2B and things that aren't, you know, so sexy all the time, like you have to show them. And I know I I have a lot of, um, friends who often talk about, you know, when they work with like big CEOs or like, you know, people who are just like way up at the top and they're just like kind of above the process and it's bringing them down into the process because they need to see and understand how things work. And that's part of it. And it is. And like, I think, and I think that as an agency that is working with a client to tell their story, it is really showing them how it works and getting them to understand. And that's part of my process is like, I get in the weeds with these people and show them how it works. Mm-hmm. Well, from if I'm a business owner, how do you how do you buy into that? If I'm if I'm listening to this and I'm like, you know, well, that's interesting. You mean I'm not going to run my, you know, three ads and outdoor boards and whatever? And they're very tactical. You know, they're very looking at all the tactics you're going to use versus that deep long that long play. You know, like I'm going to build a brand over time and I'm going to let people know who I am, what we're about, how we can benefit them, what's our soul, you know, what's our heartbeat like. Um they haven't really 
jumped into that and they feel like that's a, um, cause man, we've, we've had it. We've had, I'm sure you have too, where you walk into a room and there's this naysayer that walks in and is like, Oh, you're going to bring us some branding mumbo jumbo. You know, that's all great, but I need fundamentals. I need hard numbers. I need, I need to know that my phone's going to ring and it's like, okay, but you gotta, you gotta get off that ledge, you know? I have to be honest. I really haven't dealt with that. I mean, I, 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 it's a great question, but I really, I haven't dealt with some, with, with, a naysayer. I think that a lot of people who come to me for my services come to me for my services because they've seen what I've done with other clients and they've seen what I've done with my own business. And that's why they end up turning to me. I'm, I don't know. I really can't answer this question to be very honest. <laughs> well, and you know, and we, very we, honest with you. No, that that's a great, and, and, I don't want to give and, you a bullshit answer because I don't have one. And we've, we've learned through that over time, it's taken us time. Uh, and right now we have a great roster of clients and they trust us, they believe us and it's great relationships and, and they're on retainer. And like I said, it's, it's a really nice world we're living in right now. It's busy, but it's good. And every once in a while we'll run into that. And we've learned that from early on, that's probably not a good fit. Like as soon as we run into that obstacle, it's like, okay, this is probably not going to work out. You know, that was going to be, that was actually what I was going to say to you. Like, I, I mean, I have had a couple of clients in the last year who, you know, right before we're going to contract, start asking me various questions. And like, I realized that they want to micromanage this process, even though they have n- no idea <laughs> how any of this works. And, and I have actually said no to the project because if it's going to be too complicated or cumbersome or time consuming because I'm going to have to hold someone's hand that isn't trusting me. Like when, when you hire someone like an agency to, to make a difference, you're hiring them because they are the experts at what they're, at what they do. And you need to trust them as a business owner. You're not the expert in that. And that's why you're looking for someone. And so like I've said no to a couple of clients and like, I feel like I've dodged a bullet because of it. It's hard to do. I mean, you know, like I said, we're, we're a scrappy little agency and we, we need work. You know, it's it's hard to get to that point where you can do that. But like I said, we finally, uh, the more we do it, the better off we are. Uh, we're not chasing, you know, something that that is not going to be attainable. It, it always ends badly. You know, it's yeah. going to end badly. They're going to be mad. We're going to be frustrated. It's just, it's just not a good thing. You good also point. have to trust your gut on that too. Like, I think if your gut's telling you this is not going to be a good situation, it probably is not. Definitely. I want to circle back to the starting of the business uh, because I appreciate the storytelling and I think that's super important and the forming of the the community, I think is super important. Are you a serial entrepreneur now? Are you looking at starting new businesses over and over again? Are you just staying focused in the community space? Where are you headed? You know, I think, you know, it's only been a year, like I said, and I am, and I've spent this year really trying to figure out what it is that I love. And I love being able to work with different clients. I love being able to you know, pick my projects and I love being able to see others succeed. Now I'm, I, I'm doing multiple things at the moment. So, you know, where is this headed? I think it's going to depend on kind of how things shake out, but at the moment, I am coaching one-on-one. So like I have a lot of like very new small founders, small business owners that I am coaching them through the process of starting and growing their communities, which includes, you know, setting up their social media and telling their story and figuring out their content buckets, but they do the work. I coach them on how to do it. And then I have 
my consulting clients, which are like the enterprise brands that I work with, where I do the work, like I write the strategies for them and I get in there and I help their social media teams execute it and their email teams execute it. So I do that. I've also taught a couple of classes this year, which have been really fun. Um, and I've made money doing it, which is great. And I'm also now getting booked to speak publicly paid. And so that's, you know, that's something too that I'm doing. And then I have my podcast, Dear Found Her, which, um, you know, twice a week, I drop episodes with female founders. And it's really been a way for me to get clients, for me to share thought leadership. And that's been amazing too. So I think, you know, when you think about all of these things coming together, you know, I'm trying to figure out what, how this is going to shake out. Is it going to be an agency? Maybe. Is it going to be, you know, a new community that has all these arms and legs? Maybe. Um, and I think only time will tell with how that how that's going to work. Am I looking to start something additional? Probably not. I mean, anything that I add on to this will be a revenue stream for what I'm doing now. So you were in about nine different businesses and raising two kids who luckily can dress themselves for school, but maybe aren't quite managing their own financial accounts yet. Uh, how do you balance it all? There is no balance. I mean, really and truly, there's no <laughs> there's no balance. You know, I, I I really don't like that word. I I very much try my hardest. I do my best. I mean, that's really and truly. I I, I just do my best, and I tell others like you can only do your best and not be so hard on yourself. But um, I very much try when I'm with my kids. I'm with my kids, and when I'm working, I'm working. Sometimes I'm working at midnight. I get a lot done between the hours of 11 and one, a lot because no one's bothering me. Um, you know, so I think, I think it really, I have always set myself up like that. Even when I was, when I owned bump club, when I was working for bump club and you know, now, um, that I, I really try to build my day that I'm focused on what I'm doing. And, um, that's kind of the best that I can do. And I also to, how to like to add on to this the answer i say no a lot i mean i i say no a lot you know it's like i was just telling you all the things that i do but like i have like two coaching clients right now i have two consulting clients right now it's not like i have a hundred you know i say no i put clients on a wait list i say no to podcast guests i say no to friends if I can't have dinner or I, you know, I, I say no to my kids sometimes. I mean, it's just, you have to know when to say no and you have to know when to stop. And I, and I think that's probably the best thing that I've learned. And I didn't know how to do that at first. And now I do. And that's been a game changer for me. Yeah. I, um, a friend of mine who's a, a entrepreneur started a restaurant, just sold her restaurant. So I'm starting to track all of you sellers. Um, we started the year of no in 2010 because in 2009, we, we said yes, like five too many times and overwhelmed ourselves. So 2010 was the year of no, and we really enjoyed it. It was quite delightful. Yeah. I mean, you don't like, you don't have to do everything. And I think my big eye opener on like saying no was actually kind of, it was probably in the second or third year of bump club. And I was getting invited to like everything, you know, when I say everything, it was like every like movie and play in Chicago, every press event, every networking event as a founder from like all of the networking companies and organizations and groups. And I was feeling a pressure to like be at everything because I was new and I wanted to get out there as much as possible. But then what happened was... <laughs> 
I was like spending all my time going to all these things. And then I wasn't working on the business and you know, you need to be able to look at the opportunity and like say to yourself, do I really want to go to this? Do I really need to go to this? What will I get from going to this? Should I be staying at home with my family or doing work? And like, and I, and when I started saying no to like a lot of these things that I was being invited to, I felt a lot happier and I felt a lot less stressed and it just, it, it made it, I was able to move my business forward, which like, if you're not working on your business, you can't move it forward. Absolutely. And you know, I, when people talk about balance, I too, I'm like, I don't know what that means. I just do the thing I have to do. Um, it, but it's interesting. And, and you talked about it at the beginning, as your kids become more independent, they need you differently. And so it's not like I have to spend 24 hours a day keeping them alive. Cause that was definitely the first chapter yes. of our time together. And then it's like, oh, you can reach the knobs on the dishwasher now. You're washing the dishes. This is our quality time together. I'm teaching you a life skill. And so it just changes and evolves over time. So it's interesting because I always thought that it would get easier, right? Like like when when my kids were little, it was like, you know, they would kind of just like sit and play or like, you know, when they were really little, they would just like lay on their little mat and like shake their rattles. And like, it didn't matter if I was working, right? Like, um, you know, but as they got old and as they got older, they got used to me traveling. I traveled a lot with Bump Club and that's all they knew. They didn't know anything else. So sometimes they would come. Um, you know, we got to do really cool things because of my job, which was amazing. But, you know, when I was bought and I moved into that phase, my kids were older. They were, you know, they were aware and they were aware of what was going on. And they were also aware of my unhappiness. and because I was unhappy, it really like shifted the dynamic in our household. And I think like everyone felt like they were walking on eggshells around me. I was snappy. I was miserable. I was miserable. I mean, really and truly I was miserable. So when I realized that I couldn't do that anymore. And then I also at the same time realized like, Oh, my kids need me for homework after school or like my kids want to talk to me after school. So I need to be the one picking them up. Like not my nanny. Like it needs to be me. My nanny can take them later to do tennis lessons or whatever, but they want to see me first and foremost. And they just need you to your point, like very differently than when they were laying on that play mat when they were babies. And I didn't want to miss it. And I didn't right. want to be there for them. Right. And, and I'll tell you each chapter, it gets, it changes. Um, and each of their life cycles, the way that they need us changes. We're in, and, and I always say, you know, bigger people, bigger problems. Mm-hmm. Um, it used to be, I felt like my whole responsibility was keeping them alive. And now it's keeping them from not killing other people. Um, our little mantra when they leave at the end of the day, which they love, by the way, when they're walking out the door and I say to them, Hey, you know, have a great day. Love you. Text me when we get there. Don't make a life or take a life today. I can't tell you how much they appreciate that in front of their college age friends. They just think it's the best, but that's it. That's the whole thing is if we can get through the day and you don't kill yourself, someone else, or, you know, unplanned pregnancy, we're good. Everything else we can solve. Yes. <laughs> bigger people, bigger problems. Yes. In, in case anybody's wondering that, that they do not enjoy it. No, they do not. If you could see the sarcasm, you would know they don't think it's funny at all. But that's okay. It just shows how good of a mom you are. <laughs> I'll tell them you said that. That might help me. 
fingers crossed. Um, one last piece, you know, we get caught up being married and talking shop at the dinner table. And so sometimes the kids growing up over the years are like, Hey, can we not talk about the fifth kid? Can we just make it a family dinner? How much of it is for you showing them what business looks like and, and getting them involved? Cause it gives access to cool things granted, but also them not feeling so much like it's them or the business that they, they feel like it's okay to talk about it, but not too much. So when it was bump club, it was different. Granted, my kids were a little bit younger, but we were, you know, we bump club was kind of like, it was a very gray area, right? Because I was living in it. Like I was in the community. A lot of our friends were my customers locally. Um, you know, I would get things literally, I would get packages every day and a lot of it would be shipped for my kids. So, I mean, it was a very different thing. And I don't think we, we didn't really like talk about it as much at the dinner table because my kids were little, but you know, a lot of things were surrounding bump club because a lot of it spilled over into our personal life, into our weekend plans. You know, our weekends would be like, Oh, mom has an event. She's hosting a movie premiere. We're going to go, you know, like that kind of stuff. So it was very different today, but wait, let me back up really quick. I will say one of my proudest moments was I walked into the playroom one time and my now 11 year old was like four, maybe five. And I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm playing bump club. And she had like a toy stroller and she had an easel and she said, see, here's my presentation. I'm giving a talk to the audience and here's our giveaways. Cause we used to give away strollers. So it was like a toy stroller. And she was like, I'm raffling this off. And like, I was like, okay, I'm doing something right. Like she's, she sees that, you know, and they came to a lot of my events and they would come like help pull raffle winners. And so I really integrated them into that. They were also, I didn't realize at the time, but like, I think I would have changed it if I had to do it over all over, but like they were a big part of our social media. And, um, like I said, like, I didn't realize how it was going to, how things were going to pan out. I don't know that I would have had them be as big of a part of it anymore. Like, like now, if I were to start over, but now with my new company, I don't talk a lot about it at the table, unless there's like a guest on the podcast that I know they'll love. Like, for example, I interviewed Christy Lukisiak from um, Dance Moms and my daughter, like literally thought I was God and Christy sent her a message. And I mean, like, that was like a big win for me. You know, that was a huge, huge win for me. So like things like that I share, um, or if like I win a client, I'll say I want a client today. I don't really talk about my job that much at dinner. I really try to have the dinner conversation be about them. However, I do, my office is right in the foyer. Like I'm in the entryway of our house, essentially. Like so they see me working, which I think is very important. And they see me on calls. They have listened to my podcast before. And so I do think it's important to show them. But I also think it's important to show them that I can put it down. Right. right. No, absolutely. A hundred percent. When you look at what businesses are doing, uh, the ones who are building community well and telling a brand story well, and the ones who aren't, what do you think are the mistakes that these companies are still making because maybe they just haven't figured out this new era that we're in. What are are the big ones you see people still doing over and over again? So one of the biggest things that I see, especially like when I go into a client, this is such a common mistake is that brands tend to just push their product out like over and over and over and not do anything else. Like 
Like I cannot even tell you how many clients I've gone into and I like open up their social media, their website, everything. And it's all about them. And honestly, no one gives a shit. People want to know that you are showing up for them with a solution and that you are in touch with their needs and their wants and their problems. And so a lot of companies don't talk about the reason that they're around or like they don't realize that they can make posts and share content that aren't about their product, which like is really, really important to be able to show your community that you understand them and not just your product. So I think that's like one of the biggest things. And I, and one of the biggest solves for that is putting evergreen content in between those product posts that really speaks to your community. And when you start doing that, they start sharing it, you start growing your reach, your engagement, and ultimately your community itself. And then your bottom line, of course. So that's like the first thing. Um, The second thing um, that I would say, I just had it in my head and now I can't remember what the second thing was. It was the products and Um, I do think a lot of people often show up in like the I, 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 which is very similar to the product. And the minute you start saying you, 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 it's, it it really plays an impact and it changes the way that people look at you as a brand. Um, And I would say lastly, there was a third one. And now I can't remember what my biggest, what it was that I wanted to say. Give me a minute. Okay. Well, I'm gonna let you ponder that while I'm gonna ask kind of a follow-up question and that might jog your memory. Um, when you think about the um, the way that people are building community, oh, and by the way, just on that previous, a feature creature is how I talk about it. When you just list the features of your company over and over again, and there's no exploration on the, the, the target audience and their pain points, you're just talking about yourself, feature creature. So when you think about building community and you've got people doing that, how do you or how do you help them understand their target audience better? Is there data and research? Is it asking questions? What do you do to help dive into who that community really is? I really and truly have them ask questions. And, uh, and one of the best ways to do it is in the polls of your, of your social media or your stories of your social media with polls. And honestly, like that is how you can find out anything about your community is just even like you can find out what they want to watch on TV. Like I very, I very, very vividly remember at bump club, like, posting something about like the bachelor at some point, like it was, it had nothing to do with bump club, you know, and it went bananas. Like it went crazy. And I was like, Oh my God, like these people really like the bachelor. And then we ended up reaching out to a bunch of bachelor alumni and they, we got them on our, on our Instagram. And that was like huge. Like we did stuff with Whitney angel. We did stuff with Catherine Lowe. We did stuff with, I think there were like three or four things. And then I end, like I ended up being on the podcast with Jade Roper and um, Carly Waddell and not as Bump Club like after. And like Bump Club ended up sharing that because the they we knew that they were such big like Bachelor fanatics, but we would never have known if I didn't ask like, what are you watching on TV? Or like, are you watching The Bachelor tonight? Like, so it's very important to ask things that are not just about your business or your niche or you know, ask things about what is going on in the world around you every day. What's on TV? What are people watching? Are people watching Monday Night Football? Are they excited for Monday Night Football? I mean, there's so many things that you can ask about your community as human beings, not just as your community. Right. No, absolutely. And I love that. Um, I know we're starting to wind down our time. Uh, and I, I always wonder, like, did I monopolize? Did Michael monopolize? Were we balanced? 
Michael, do you have any good questions on the way out the door? Nope. Okay, good. I, I'm Lindsay, good. Last, last question back to you is, what's the thing that we should have asked but didn't? Um, what is the thing that you should have asked but didn't? About anything? Yeah, sure. Um, are you happy? Oh, that's a good one. Are you happy? I am. You look pretty happy. First time in a really long time. I, I, you know, I know what it's like to wake up in the morning and run to my computer or run to work or whatever, wherever it might be, because who knows, like now it's, it's all different places, but, um, I know what it's like to wake up and love what you do. And when you don't, it really fucking sucks. Sorry, but it does. And, no, true. Um, and it, and it impacts everyone around you, you, your family, your friends, it, it impacts everyone. And if you're not happy, you have to figure out a way to make a change, even if it means making a sacrifice. And, um, you know, for the first time in a really long time, I'm back in control. I am happy. I'm my, I have a flexible schedule and I'm really and truly loving the work that I'm doing. And like my greatest accomplishment over the last year has been watching some of these companies really thrive and succeed. Um, and that makes me happy to know it. So. I think that's a great place to wrap it up. Oh my God. There's no better ending than that. Thank you so much for your time and your knowledge and your expertise. If somebody wants to reach out to you and understand how you can help them build a community, where should they reach out? You can go to lindsaypinchuk.com or they can go to Instagram at lindsaypinchuk. And in my link in bio, there's a million different links and ways to reach out to me. You can DM me. It's me. I answer. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time and your expertise. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I thought about the other thing. Can I say? Yay, tell me. Yes. All right. One of the other biggest mistakes that companies make is they don't engage back with their, with their community. And so that is the biggest thing is like they put things out there and they don't, one, they don't ask for people to engage. People aren't going to engage unless you ask them to like drop a comment, double tap. And people say, well, I do ask. And then they don't, well, you have to like really repeatedly ask But if you don't engage back and forth or even reach out and engage with people who are like your biggest community members, people aren't going to engage with you. And the more you engage, the more people see your stuff, especially on social media. And so you have to make it a two-way street. Like you can't rely on them to make it the two-way street. You have to make it the two-way street. No, no, you're right. It's it's social media, not monologue media. And so it's got to be a discussion. You got to be back and forth. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Lindsay, thank you so much. We appreciate your time and your knowledge and your expertise and your wisdom. And anybody listening that needs to build some community, this is who you should call. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Take care. Thank you.